People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Dexter M. Lewingu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Today's show is entitled, Getting Fit for the Revolution, and it incorporates excerpts from a panel by the same name that was presented at the 2021 International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement Convention from September 3rd through 5th. The convention observed the 30th anniversary of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement as well as the 50-plus year history of Uhuru Movement Mass Organization. The panels were designed to confront the crises the African community faced and provide an African internationalist way forward. African health is one arena the movement has always led on. In 1969, the junta of militant organizations, JOMO, a precursor of the African People's Socialist Party, founded the JOMO Blood Bank. From the 1970s, to the 1990s, the Burning Spirit newspaper ran a regular column entitled, Colonialism is Dangerous to Your Health. In 1985, the Uhuru Movement opened the Little Bobby Hutton African People's Free Health Clinic. This all laid the groundwork for the Uhuru Movement's establishment of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project and their emergency response program, Project Black Onk. The Getting Fit for the Revolution panel that I had the uh, esteemed privilege of moderating featured Chairman Amali Chitella, Kobina Bantashengo, the Southern Regional Representative of the African People's Socialist Party, as well as representatives of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project, Dr. Aisha Fields, Michael Parker, and Michelle Odo. In this first clip, Kobina provides tips on healthy eating and exercise. He also provides a political context behind the establishment of the All People's Tyron Lewis Community Gym in the Uhuru Health Festivals. Let's take a listen real quick. Like I said, I wanted to look at that uh, from the angle of an individual revolutionary that's trying to stay fit and even just everyday Africans that's just trying to stay fit or, mm -hmm. or trying to get in better shape to allow your body to fight off uh, uh, any virus that comes in contact with you and also help you to better prepare mentally for, for the revolution. Mm -hmm. But like the chairman, uh, again, the chairman don't have do anything. The chairman takes it to the, the next level. And, and that's how we built the all people's Tyron Lewis community gym that, yeah. you know, lasted for over 20 years. You know, and that when we talk about like health disparities that exist in the African community, that's not enough to identify. It. And that's the approach of the African people's social support. That's African internationalism. That is not enough to be able to identify it and know it. What is the solution? What's the way forward? And so we built the, the Tyron Lewis community gym to deal with the health disparities in the, in the community where it began to allow uh, us to have a physical way, a tangible way to actually change the health conditions that people uh, uh, were fighting right there in St. Petersburg, right there in the working class, the, the African working class community. And, uh, and if you know about the, the whole health fair that happens on a, on a consistent basis, that uh, you know, we we deal with the health disparities. We deal with solutions and how to move forward and and uh, and those and those type of things. And so 
that's that's who the movement is. We we want to identify the problem, then work on a strategy to change the problem. And that's what the Tyron Lewis Community Gym did. That's what the Hulu Health Fair did. But we want to look at, you know, one thing in terms of health is that we got to begin to eat healthier. And I ain't saying that everybody going to become a vegetarian, but you have to have more of a plant-based diet to actually give your body the nutrients and the fuel that it needs to be able to uh, fight this revolution, to be able to carry out your task, to be able to stay mentally, mentally and physically sharp. And I mentioned earlier that only doing 30 minutes a day, you know, it, 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 it re-energizes your brain. It, it actually replaces brain cells and, and help to uh, magnify, you know, uh, I hate to say these terms, but positive, <laughs> positive energy, but it gives you more, more momentum uh, to actually carry out this work and do what's necessary. And you should try to be as fit as you can be. People are, are on various uh, uh, places in the spectrum in terms of health, you know, and, and you have to go from where you at. Some people may be able to do a thousand push-ups. Some people may be able to do 10 push-ups. If you can do 10 push-ups, do 10 push-ups. But then push yourself as you do 10 push-ups for a week. Next week, do 12 push-ups. And then you just increase those type of things. But uh, you want to be putting that fuel in your body. You want to be trying to identify what your body needs so you know what supplements to get. You want some type of multivitamin because one thing that, that I learned is that the food that we eat today it has 40% less nutrients than uh, food that our grandparents ate. And, and we're talking about, we want you to be uh, healthy. And, and, and the movement also addressed those. That's why you have the One African, One Nation Farmers Market. That's why you have, Abdev's have community gardens to try to address these type of issues to, to, uh, for us to be able to meet our needs and also eat healthier. You know what I'm saying? But we have to be able to do these things. The other thing, you want to drink water. You want to stay hydrated when you're doing these things. But uh, we have a couple of slides that, that kind of show like different calisthenics because everybody, you know, you're not going to go lift weights and stuff like that. Strength training is good and it's benefiting strength training, but there's various forms of strength training that you can do. And, and calisthenics is probably one of the healthiest uh, forms of exercise, uh, as well as yoga you know, is yoga is a form of strength training that uh, sometimes people don't people don't include that into strength training. You want to stretch to get full motion in, in your body. You know, we have to be able to help our bodies to be as fit as it possibly can be so we can carry out this revolution. And that was Kobina Bandashenko, the Southern Regional Representative for the African People's Socialist Party. Now, let's hear from Michael Parker. Michael Parker is a certified trainer and All African People's Development and Empowerment Project member from San Diego, California. According to the Centers of Disease Control, or the CDC, uh, heart disease, cancer, asthma, stroke, and diabetes are ranked numbers one, two, four, six, and seven for the leading causes of death among Africans. So everyone has their triggers and reasons why they eat unhealthy. Uh, here are actually a couple of reasons why Africans can't eat healthy. Uh, which is all on the slide, whether you can't cook or your social life revolves around eating unhealthy or it's because of groupthink, either it's uh, financial instability or because you live in an area where there's food deserts. The cause of all these diseases are the result of colonialism as a whole system, which is also known as the colonial virus. Uh, the mental trauma from being colonized would cause you or your family member to seek something to help ease that pain or stress. 
uh, it would then seek that dopamine spike, which is a hormone meant for feeling good, from the same unhealthy foods you eat. Layla Africa, who was an African holistic health expert who actually passed, rest in peace, uh, made a great connection between the impact of colonialism and how it can cause poor eating habits. Uh, he said, sugar is associated with love and affection. Uh, if you are having problems loving yourself or loving someone that looks like yourself, you're going to eat sugar. He also goes on to say, uh, if you're in a crisis, your sugar has to go up to get you out that crisis. Uh, the crisis could have been your lifestyle, your family. So you're already preconditioned to have diabetes. I'm telling you this situation as a black person sets you up to have diabetes. And unfortunately, these foods are actually processed to create that dopamine spike for those consuming it, which is the same dopamine spike that comes from drugs, alcohol, porn, slash sex, gambling, or other addictions. Uh, the combination of stress of being colonized and your body needing that dopamine spike at the expense of your health is just another contribution of our genocide. Uh, the food industry is just an extension of this colonial capitalist system. Uh, they make money off of processed foods that have long shelf lives uh, that we tend to eat due to either convenience or price that contribute negatively to our minds and bodies while not promoting a natural diet. Uh, another crazy thing is, is these websites centered around, for example, cancer and diabetes, include some of those same foods that I listed off that are actually cause the same disease that they try to prevent. Why are they promoting foods that will cause the same disease that they're actually trying to fight? Money, money, money. Uh, money from the, their industry sponsors, which is actually one of many capitalist tactics done by the system and the health industry. Uh, more to the story is, you can't accept colonial capitalism, even in the health industry. So the way forward, here are a couple of things you got you can do at home right after this convention to help improve or change your health uh, for good. Number one, understand your triggers. Number two, create a checklist of nutritional goals. And number three, eliminate unhealthy foods and replace with healthy food. So at the end of the day, whether it's fitness or nutrition, uh, strive to become 1% better every single day. Uh, it takes 21 days to create a habit and 90 days to create a lifestyle. So keep grinding uh, for a better day. Well, you'll be looking back a year from now and see all the progress that you made just because you decided to make that first step. Uh, though this all sounds hard, you can develop life skills such as discipline, mental strength, determination, work ethic, and physical abilities such as strength, endurance, intelligence, that could be translated into skills that could be potentially used for overthrowing the system of colonial capitalism and completing the African Revolution. Uhuru. That was Michael Parker. Next, we heard from Michelle Odom, who spoke on African mental health. Michelle Odom is a counselor and educator from San Diego, California. Michelle heads the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project's Mental Health Working Group. Let's take a listen. Uhuru, everyone. My name is Michelle Odom. And I'm a member of three of the mass organizations um, under the leadership of the APSP that's in PEDAM, ANWO, but ABDEP is where I lead most, most of my work. And I'll be leading today's presentation to talk about what mental health looks like for us as African people and to really start to ask the question, is this a mental illness or are these natural responses? Um, so I wanna just first talk quickly about um, something that we don't hear too often what we can describe as the colonial mentality. All right, so what is the colonial mentality, right? 
So of course, um, this is not a definition that we will see in any dictionary or you know, find, find loosely, but the colonial mentality for a definition is simply put as anything that we have been taught to believe about ourselves from the colonizer. It's anything that keeps us from understanding our conditions as colonized people and keeps us from seeing the need to organize and the need to fight back. So as African internationalists, we see how this can look many ways, right? But the central point um, about this for today and, 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 and essentially is to understand that we must have an African identity, right? But because before we Africans met the colonizers, right? We were first a free people, didn't even need a word for being free. But, you know, we worked together as a community. We did not see ourselves or act as, as individuals, right? Knowing that what I do to myself impacts the community, right? Ubuntu, uh, you know, we were prosperous and organized people and everybody in the community played a role from childhood to adulthood, right? If we want to call it that, we knew who we were. But, the, you know, really the reality is that for the, over the last 600 years, we've been colonized and we have been taught to and exposed to or forced to live under the domination of our oppressors. And we have been taught to think as individuals, not as a whole people. We have been taught to hate ourselves, hate each other. We have been taught that, um, you know, we are African, this African-American, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Brit, whatever we want to say, or Black or not Black at all, right? We have lost touch with our roots. Um, and as a consequence of that, we are divided people. We're a colonized people. And so how, this is how the colonial mentality is formed, right? It, it separates, from, separates us from each other and poisons our minds. And then it's designed, right, to keep us from understanding our conditions as, as colonized people, causing us to believe that poverty, violence, lack of education, employment, high incarceration rates, you know, um, among African or, you know, Black people is the result of our own doing, that we just need to do better or that we should have just made better choices, right? And the colonial mentality is really important as we're understanding mental health because um, as uh, Comrade Kobina shares this often about um, a philosopher, Franz Fanon, who talks about to be an African who's colonized is essentially to be, bi uh, to be bipolar because you're living in exact opposition to who you are. So you're actually essentially having a double existence, right? And so um, to some degree, so to some degree, we have all been touched, right, by the colonial um, mentality, either by the colonizer themselves or in our communities. But here today, we're here to talk about mental health um, and what it is as our, you know, at the current state, right? And we must, again, know one, that we are colonized. And as we become aware of this and identify the colonial mentality, it's an important step um, because this will keep us from seeing the need to, one, fight back. Um, and it also has to be understood as a mental illness, right? This is the diagnosis, we are colonized. Um, and um, important for us to understand that as we reject the, col the colonial mentality, um, we can then begin to, to see ourselves as one Africa, one people with a common destiny and one fight. So, you know, you already heard me say that um, African people, we are colonized, right? But I wanted to use some numbers. And so let's look at some past, statistics on mental um, health, because oftentimes, sometimes putting a number can paint a picture, or frankly, sometimes people need numbers to believe that something is real. Um, but most importantly, we have to be able to just create spaces to be able to have conversations around mental health and to remove the stigma or the mysticism around it and define the narrative about mental health as, as African people. So these statistics that you see here 
are um, were taken like over 10 years ago from um, census data, but I appreciate this visual um, and the numbers here, you know, have risen dramatically, especially during the pandemic. And what's not listed here is even black children who, you know, suicide rates around, uh, around African children are alarmingly high for many reasons that we will put into context later and that you may have already assumed just because of the conditions of our people, but this is serious. And I wanna use some of these numbers to share that, you know, African people make up more or less than like 15% of the population of the United States, but 16%, right? So that's about 4.8 million at this time reported that they suffer from mental illness, right? And of those, you know, of that percentage, about 22% uh, have said that they suffered from a severe mental illness. So um, I, you know, obviously we don't need numbers, right? Or st statistics to tell us that there's a problem. Um, because again, the whole African people is dealing with some issues from mental illness because of colonialism. And it's important that we, you know, um, for us to know that the same way that we can have like good men, like good physical health as Comrade Kobina and um, Comrade Mike talked about, or, or poor physical health, mental health is the same way as it's defined through Mental Health America. Uh, mental health, you know, like good, having good mental health can be seen as being on a continuum, right? From having good mental health to having a so-called mental disorder and that um, an individual can kind of vary along this. So it's seen that somebody that has quote unquote good or, you know, positive mental health is somebody that's in control of their emotions, has good cognitive functioning, um, will have positive interactions, right? With others around them can perform well in work and in their studies and in, you know, within their family and, and other social relationships. And moving on to what is defined as a mental health problem um, under the system as we know it, you know, just like physical problems, right? They can display emotional, you know, like emotional distress, nervous exhaustion, uh, mental breakdown, burnout, things that we all experience, right? Anything that impacts a person's thinking, their emotional state, their behavior, um, can disrupt their ability to carry out work on a daily basis or engage in satisfying relationships. And again, common ones, common um, problems, mental health problems that are defined as like depression or anxiety. So what's the reality? African internationalism is a theory that helps us understand that we don't need the numbers, right? We can read all the definitions that we want. Yes, and maybe and most importantly, some people might even see these past two slides and realize, okay, I do have burnout. I do experience, you know, all these things. Um, and so maybe I do have some mental health problems, but in reality, our mental health problems are not our faults as individuals. Our theory understands that this has to be understood in the larger context. And to understand that as we as colonized people, we can look at Frantz Fanon, who is a psychologist, um, an African psychologist who, you know, who studied and wrote a lot on, on colonialism and mental health during the Algerian revolution. And um, one thing that he says, which is really important and that we speak about often in our work is he says, when resistance is low, mental illness will increase among the colonized people. So what he's saying is that when colonized people are not resisting, um, that's when we will begin to see mental health and mental problems because we are in a way succumbing to or just you know agreeing with our conditions, right? And if we are to be free, then we must resist. So he understood the impacts, right, of society and culture on the human being and that we cannot simply comply, but our 
our our our one our number one goal must be to resist. Um, and you know, oftentimes we hear stay calm, you know, or just talk about your feelings, just get them out, or only focus on medication, or just engage in these other activities that the colonizers put out there to distract us. But you know, what's important is that we bring organization and that we bring um, a theory that one lets us know that we as African people are not the problem. Yes, we may be dealing with some with some challenges, whether it, it impacts us physically, mentally, so be it, but this is all happening under colonialism. So our approach to this question, again, understands that until we overturn this sick and oppressive relationship that we have with the oppressor, we will continue to see these natural responses, right? These natural responses that, that will reflect in the form psychologically, physically, you know, um, or um, physiologically on our bodies, right? because this has happened to us under colonialism. So we can't separate really mental illness from anything that's happening to us. And I just wanted to say that a, a practical way for us to walk away from this is to identify all the problems that you are seeing under colonialism, find a way to look at the solutions for how we can make those happen right now um, in your community. And really, um, I just wanna say it's because we have to understand that the more we continue to operate to solve problems that are created by our oppressor, like under the system, we're gonna to continue to see these same problems. So um, again, look at the, um, the Uhuru Kijiji Child Care Collective, right? Look at the Marcus Garvey Youth Program, look at our mental health programs, look at the gardens, the foods for safety, the black community control of police. This is how we create our power and take back our power under the social system. So um, if we wanna improve our mental health, Yes, let's talk about it. Let's get the support. But no matter how we look at it, the way forward has to be self-governing and self-determining. The only solution is revolution. The goal is not just to heal us mentally. The goal is that we can be well enough so that we can fight back, right? That we can fight back against imperialism. And as Franz, Franz Fanon says, <laughs> he says that the most liberating thing for the colonized person is to kill the colonizer. Right, so all of what you've experienced today is a form of killing the colonizer. We are developing programs and making solutions to problems that are caused by colonialism, right? We have to kill parasitic capitalism in all of its forms. So let's get fit, let's get organized, let's build and let's get free. Uhuru, thank you comrades. And that was Michelle Odom, head of the APDEP Mental Health Working Group. The Mental Health Working Group organizes the IA Resistance Circle. The IA Resistance Circles provide a space for African people to share and learn about the impact of colonialism on our mental health. Participants are given the opportunity to learn about skills and tools to develop African wellness in the revolutionary fight for African liberation. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we are talking about getting fit for the revolution. Next up, we heard from Chairman O'Malley Eschatello. Chairman O'Malley presented on the relationship between healthy eating and exercise to brain health, which are all important for emotional fitness. He also called on revolutionaries to set an example for the masses of African people to maintain a high level of discipline in regards to fitness practices. Well, the fact of the matter is, of course, that uh, while I'm supposed to speak to the uh, uh, to uh, the question of emotional uh, control uh, in, in many ways it has already been addressed by everything that's been talked about now, uh, from things like diet uh, to exercise uh, 
uh, to the discussion that we've had around mental health. And I, 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 I just want to say that this, this uh, part of uh, the discussion we're having uh, uh, in this convention, dealing with the issue of health, uh, is just so extraordinarily important. I mean, everybody here has uh, had an opportunity to see uh, in these Olympics and what have you, like African people who uh, they sometimes call Italians and Greeks and Afro-Americans and French, uh, et cetera, uh, doing extraordinarily well uh, in these uh, Olympics. We uh, fight and win medals uh, through this process. And sometimes we say it's a medal uh, that might have been for South Africa or for Ethiopia or what have you. Uh, but all of these things that we're looking at from Italy to the United States uh, to Greece and and South Africa, Ethiopia, et cetera, are medals won by African people. But they're also testimony. They're testimony to two things. One, uh, the fracturing of the African nation and the African consciousness that's reflected in the fact that Africans are all these fronts and yet are being identified as something other than who we are. And the second thing uh, it's uh, testimony of is the, uh, the actual physical prowess of African people, extraordinary athletes, uh, and, and uh, what have you, uh, but on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, almost everywhere we look, uh, we see that Africans, while uh, having this uh, athletic lifestyle of sorts, you know, at least for a periods of time, uh, don't have fitness lifestyle. And that's what uh, everybody has been uh, talking about up to now. And the, to draw the relationship uh, between the physical, uh, uh, and, and the mental health uh, uh, is, is extremely important. It's something that, uh, that a materialist would do. We've heard of people who are philosophical idealists who talk about how the mind over matter, uh, et cetera. And of course, that's a Forrest's fallacy, notwithstanding how the intent of the person who make that kind of statement. Uh, but the fact is the mind is a product of matter. The mind is a product of the brain. The brain is matter developed to its highest extent. And so mind has its origin in matter. And uh, when we look at the body, we look at the physical human being, you know, we're talking about matter. We talk about the mental health. We talk about uh, how uh, we uh, experience that, even emotionally and what have you. We're talking also about how matter is influenced uh, uh, by its environment, uh, by the world. Uh, and, and that says something about the significance also of exercise, diet, and what have you. It's affecting this matter, uh, not only uh, things like hearts and lung, which I think is easily understood, but the brain, uh, which again is matter and which uh, is the source of what we refer to as the mind. I think that's extremely important. We are, we are materialists. And, and so that connection we can make. We have no illusions about some kind of mind coming out of nowhere and informing us or informing the world. We are materialists, and it's the material world uh, that informs our understanding. So examining the material world that helps us to understand everything, even our perception of the material world. And our perception of the material world, of course, is a reflection of uh, the relationship that our mind, that is to say this product of matter, the accuracy of this, of this uh, matter, this product of matter, the mind, how accurate that is in uh, reflecting matter itself, what's happening in the world. For myself, like so many other Africans who live under colonial domination, we uh, 
victims of a, a, a worldview that responds to uh, the kind of political economy that we have. The political economy you have on the one hand, uh, you have a, the, the economic base of that, uh, of that uh, society uh, and the economic base of the society is colonial domination, it's colonial capitalism. And then responding <laughs> to that are the ideas that, uh, that uh, come from that. And those ideas that come from that reflect uh, the interest of the, of the whatever social forces control uh, the economic basis of society, how that looks. And if we are colonized, uh, then that it means that the ideas of that society and the whole world uh, reflects the interests of the colonizer, uh, of the colonial capitalists, and not of those of us who are colonized. And uh, so our perception of the world uh, is something that reflects uh, this colonial uh, domination, which means that almost everything that we understand and think about is distorted. And part of what uh, Fanon has meant when he says that the uh, uh, the way the colonized uh, can become cured is to kill the colonizer. You cannot, you cannot live under colonialism and expect a healthy brain, a, a, a recognition of the world. Even sanity and insanity uh, carry with them this uh, context, uh, carry with them uh, political uh, assumptions, worldview. Uh, the African who rises up, who awakens uh, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, in the morning, uh, the African enslaved, colonial slave wakes in the middle of the, um, the night and takes an axe and kills the slave master, the colonizer, and his children and what have you. It's called crazy, often. We see things happening in our communities on a daily basis. So that's crazy. That's insane. Uh, when the reality is what we have is people locked into a process of what might otherwise be characterized as as insanity if the colonizer, if those of us who are colonized were controlling the definitions of this reality. The fact is that when Africans are not rising up and killing the slave master, the fact is that when Africans are not every day of our lives doing everything we can to sabotage the system, despite the fact that we are colonized, uh, is, uh, can be characterized as a reflection of insanity because it's the system and it's the, you know, those who control the system and those who benefit from the system and work to support uh, the system, uh, they are, they are working to suppress the lives of our people, our children, uh, et cetera, and to go along with that uh, as if it were normal, uh, that is the thing that can be characterized and should be characterized as insane by those of us who are colonized. And I just wanna say that uh, living under colonial domination, uh, the colonizers teach us uh, how to perceive the world, how to perceive ourselves, how to uh, perceive the colonizer. The, the colonizer teaches us uh, that if we are not uh, working for uh, colonialism and colonial capitalism, uh, if we're not doing that, then we are to be indisciplined. We have no discipline. We are happy-go-lucky. Uh, we don't care about time. We don't care about uh, uh, any kind of security. It's only when we are working for the system and working for the colonizer, that discipline is something that is recognized as necessary security and as, as necessary. In fact, the colonizer will impose discipline on us with severe violence. If the colonial system itself, if being employed in the colonial system is not enough itself to impose discipline on us, you know what I mean by that, right? Because you have to pay a mortgage, you have to pay your rent, 
Uh, you have to get up and go to work, et cetera. That disciplines us. That's what the colonial capitalist system does. So if that's not enough, to do it, then the colonial military, either domestically in terms of the police or otherwise, function to discipline us. They discipline entire countries. They tried to discipline the people of Afghanistan, discipline the people of Venezuela. Listen to sometimes to the discussions that you hear uh, when they talk about the people in Venezuela, the leadership of Venezuela, as though some kind of disobedient children that they have to step in and provide discipline for. So the fact is that the colonizer doesn't want us to be disciplined in terms of our own self-interest that we just have to be disciplined when it comes to, uh, when it imposes on us to serve the interests of colonialism. But discipline is something that we have to have if we're to be free. And the learning how to be self-disciplined is a fundamentally important thing. And to break out of this process, this pattern of indiscipline that's been imposed on us by a colonial system, that we are rewarded for being uh, indisciplined. They, and even when we are criticized uh, in some ways, we are rewarded uh, for not being disciplined uh, when it comes to ourselves and how we live. So that's part of the struggle that we're involved in. So it's anti-colonial, it's an anti-colonial struggle to struggle for discipline, uh, to change our circumstances and our conditions. And have, we have to fight against colonialism. We have to fight against the definitions of what uh, is real and what is significant that's imposed on us by this external, this, this, this foreign and alien power that controls every aspect of our lives. That's colonizer. The, the, when I say foreign, I don't mean that they live uh, in another country. They come to this country as foreigners and they bring us here as foreigners. That, that relationship has never changed in terms of things and aliens. So uh, that's who has imposed uh, a definition of what is reality for us. A definition of what is sane to us and insane to us. It's insane to kill a slave master. If that's what the slave master would say, it's insane uh, to resist uh, this, uh, this uh, colonialism. That's what the colonizer would say. And many of our own people have been convinced of this too, and especially the African petty bourgeoisie or that sector of the African po population that has a, a, a material stake in the ongoing existence of this social system will say you're crazy. You have to be crazy to be fighting against this system. So even when we look at the issues of sanity, insanity, we're not looking at something that's separate from a political question, the political definition. It's not just some medical definition. That's why for non, you don't hear any white psychiatrists or anything like that who will say that the cure for the colonized is to cure, kill the colonizer. I think it's important uh, to make that point and also this whole issue of discipline. And it's our responsibility as revolutionaries uh, to teach the masses of our people to provide that kind of leadership. When we talk about how to be healthy, it's not enough just to say be healthy, it's good to eat this way, that. We, we become examples of what that means. We provide the leadership. And yes, we want people to stop eating garbage. Yes, we want people to work out. And this is not something that should even be considered exceptional. It's normal, human. And uh, 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 you have to find time to work out. And when working out should be just normal for what we do. I saw somebody say, when, when should I work out? I believe that you should work out early in the morning. So you make sure that it's not something that, that you make sure you get it done. Uh, it's not something on the last thing on your agenda, and hopefully you get it done if you're not too tired when you get home, if you're not too busy. Wake up in time to work out, uh, to make that happen, and, and treat it not as something that's exceptional, but as something that's real. And again, uh, someone said it uh, uh, earlier on, uh, 
uh, that uh, the reality is that uh, uh, physically, physical health uh, uh, contributes to mental health, uh, contributed to uh, mental well-being, because again, uh, the mental health, the mind itself is a product of matter. And the brain is matter, just like the lungs uh, matter, just like the heart matter. And just like if your brain is strong, your, uh, if your heart and lungs are strong, then it can contribute to, to other parts of your body uh, being strong, uh, then the same thing is true uh, of this matter that, uh, uh, that we refer to as the brain. So it's really important for us to get this exercise as a normal uh, part of our day. Do it. It's really important for us to recognize that smoking cigarettes uh, not only kills you, kills people around you. Now, I used to smoke cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes for 27 years. And like many Africans, it didn't bother me. People saying it will kill you, uh, et cetera. Everything that white people are doing, everything in life that I'm experiencing is killing me. I know that. The whole thing I used to always say uh, that uh, I, I don't think I'll live long enough uh, to die uh, from cigarette smoking. But the fact is that one day I was running across the street and I was flat footed. And I that was extraordinary for me. And what I, it dawned on me that if in fact uh, this cigarette smoking made me flat footed like I was, it affects my ability to carry on the work to make the revolution. So I might not have cared otherwise about my own physical well-being, but I cared about being able to make the revolution. So because of that, I stopped smoking. I smoked for 27, I stopped smoking. And the next day, the next day I stopped drinking because I felt like even though I wasn't experiencing anything from drinking that, uh, that I had, it had to be having some kind of effect. So I stopped this. And this is the kind of discipline that I'm talking about. In our own organization, I encourage people don't smoke. Don't drink alcohol. I'm not some kind of moral uh, fanatic, et cetera, except if you want to talk about African internationalist morality, which uh, presupposes that we have to do everything we can to forward uh, a free future for our people, uh, the liberation of our continent, the liberation of our people, uh, et cetera. This whole permissibility uh, that's in, uh, of, uh, of irrelevance, of indiscipline that, uh, that's provided for us, uh, uh, imposed on us, if you will, about the rulers. We are the advanced attachment. So therefore we set the examples. We set the examples of uh, not just controlling our emotions, but directing our emotions uh, in a way that affects our freedom. Uh, because uh, subjectivism, being subjective, being affected by things emotionally is normal. So be as emotional as you have to be, uh, but be emotionally disciplined and uh, direct the emotions that we have in a, in a way that's going to facilitate uh, the total liberation of our people uh, and our Africa. That's the kind of thing that we have to talk about. One of the things that we learned early on, once you become a revolutionary, you no longer belong to yourself. And that's been true historically, that's culturally true of African people, that uh, we, uh, uh, we have had social existence. Uh, this whole thing of capitalist and separatism and individualism, et cetera, is foreign and new to Africa and African people. We're social people. And we know that uh, what I do is going to affect my neighbors, my sisters, my brothers, and that's part of what helps to discipline me in terms of what it is that I can and cannot do. Uh, and that's what we have to, as revolutionaries, as cadre, as African internationalists, that's the kind of example that we have to take into our communities 
and not just take them into our communities, but to create the kinds of structures and institutions that facilitate this, because it's not just enough to have a good idea. And the, the, the rulers that will press us don't just have ideas that harm us, they create institutions, they create organizations, they create things that facilitate, that drive and channel uh, our emotion, our directions uh, in, uh, in a certain way. But I will tell you that your oppressor can see you on the road to freedom and it will kill your mama. It will kill your sister. It will do horrible things all around you to take you off the, the fact that we have to provide freedom and liberation for our, old, our whole people. So we, we will, they will use our emotions against us, our love for our people against us. When our love for our people, my love for our mama should mean that we shall avenge her death. Uh, and we avenge her death by contributing to the revolutionary project that's gonna free Africa and all African people. And I wanna suggest, it's already been said, uh, things that we have to really uh, do things like creating, uh, develop routines uh, for fitness. Uh, and we have to be those examples of what it is because we, uh, leading uh, the development of a new society of Africa, uh, African people uh, based on the embers of uh, this colonialism that we have to destroy. So we can be fit all the way around and we can be emotionally fit and we can have emotional discipline uh, because that's absolutely necessary. You don't have the right uh, to just freak out. You don't have the right uh, just to go crazy because something happened in your life that's bad. And as bad as it is, uh, it's not as, uh, it, it's just for you. When you multiply it all over by the times that things are bad for all the masses of African people, then what you see is your bad uh, treatment, your bad uh, situation is, uh, is minuscule. And uh, discipline uh, is absolutely necessary. Emotional discipline, control the emotions. Uh, we don't have to go those places that the bourgeoisie has told us. They find it amusing that they get an emotional kind of response. Yes. When we talk about uh, emotional health, th this practice of uh, misusing, mm. mistreating each other, and especially mistreating women by African men, I just think that it's profoundly important for us to deal with, especially coming from the matriarchal kind of society that most of us do as African people. Um, matriarchy that has so much respect, generally speaking, for women. And, uh, but in, the, uh, in this context, I mean, even the form of the family has been affected by being under colonial domination. It, it has become normal uh, these relationships that we have and they work against us. And we have to really be open uh, to criticizing the entire relationship, the entire social system as it permeates our lives, our people, our community. And when we talk about African internationalist morality, when we talk about people who see a member of the party, they need to see the highest stance around morality, our treatment of each other, our treatment of the people, our treatment of women, they need to be say, that's what I want to emulate. That's part of the process of leading to the development of the new society that we are in the process of creating. And I spoke of the treatment of African women by men, uh, but it's not one-sided. I mean, the way we treat each other because we get trained. We get uh, how to relate to each other uh, as men and women, as fathers and children, uh, uh, and mothers and children, you know, et cetera, by the colonizers. And we have to help 
demonstrate another kind of morality uh, that reflects uh, an African internationalist mental health uh, uh, as well. But I just want to thank everybody and just express my appreciation again for the significance of this panel and this incredibly significant convention. Uhuru, comrades. That was Chairman O'Malley Eshetela. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we are talking about getting fit for the revolution. Last but not least, we heard from Dr. Aisha Fields, the director of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project. Dr. Fields gave an update on the COVID-19 health and safety protocols as prepared by Project Black Onk. Through APDEP's Project Black Onk, um, which is the African Nation's Emergency Preparedness and Disaster Response Program, APDEP has been working to meet the needs of African people during this period of the colonial coronavirus. Our medical advisory team has been working to really try to sum up consistently where we are in terms of COVID and to put forward best practices for African people to follow during this time. And we've also uh, been working hard to develop programs, concrete programs, like our international COVID-19 telehealth program that since July of 2020 has offered the African nation access to free online appointments uh, with our licensed doctors and nurses. So um, as we know, there's a lot of confusion, I I think still that exists about where we are right now in terms of the life of the pandemic. And there are a lot of questions that people still have around COVID vaccines, around Delta variants, whether or not there are other variants that we should be concerned about. Do we need to mask, you know, if so, under what circumstances? So as of today, there have been more than 219 million reported cases of COVID-19 worldwide, and more than 4.5 million people have died from this virus. The U.S. still leads the world in COVID-19 cases and deaths with more than 39.9 million cases and 648,000 deaths. Um, African and indigenous people have been hardest hit by this colonial coronavirus, um, and African people in the U.S. have disproportionately contracted covid and at least one in three Africans have had a friend or family member who has died from the virus. Africans in Europe and other imperialist centers have also been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And um, with more than 583,000 deaths officially reported in Brazil, which is the country with, with the second largest population of African people anywhere in the world, Africans have been deeply impacted there. Uh, Much of the continent of Africa and the Caribbean have been spared huge numbers of positive cases and deaths um, in the earlier part of the pandemic. But now we're seeing surges um, that while not in any way close to what we've seen in the U.S. and in Europe and in some parts of Asia, are definite cause for concern, um, especially given the general lack of health infrastructure that exists there. So, After an initial sharp decline in new COVID infections in the U.S. and other colonizer countries because of vaccines, there's now a significant increase in cases, in part due to the worldwide spread of what has come to be known as the Delta variant. So right now in the U.S., many parts of the country are worse now in terms of the number of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths than even during the winter surge that we already passed through. Things are not improving, and we should absolutely be prepared for another winter surge this year. I want to share some of the Uhuru Movement COVID-19 protocols that have been developed by the medical advisory team of APDEP's Project Black Onk. So our original protocols, they were developed in March of 2020, 
And um, since then, they've been updated three times with the most uh, recent update on July 22nd, 2021. And so I'm going to say that while our protocols have been developed to minimize our risk, scientists and public health officials are now warning that almost every human on Earth is going to encounter this virus. So the question for us really needs to be, how will this virus find us? Will it find us unmasked and therefore likely coming into contact with a higher amount of the virus, which will likely make us sicker? Or will it meet us masked and therefore having reduced the amount of virus we are initially in contact with? Will this virus find us in a poor state of health um, with a weakened immune system, already sick with preventable and treatable illnesses like high blood pressure, obesity, or diabetes? Uh, diseases that, like COVID-19, are also colonial viruses that have been imposed in mass on African people? Or when we meet this virus, are we going to be in a general state of good health or working towards improving our overall health by eating well, reducing the amount of processed foods we take in, exercising, drinking plenty of water, getting rid of all those sugary drinks and fried non-foods that we find all over the Black community? So these are some really important factors to consider. Um, as we look at what we have to do to protect ourselves, our families and our community and the African nation as a whole. So the first thing is that we have to take steps to protect ourselves and others. Um, our uh, Project Black Onc medical advisory team recommends vaccination against COVID-19. Now we know that this remains a hotly debated topic in the African community and that many people have concerns about the long-term consequences of COVID vaccination. And while there is no long-term data available for these vaccines, in the history of vaccine development, there have been no major long-term health concerns found beyond that which can be found within the first three months of having taken a vaccine. And right now, hundreds of millions of people around the world have safely been vaccinated against COVID-19. And uh, more of what has been taken into account, including po political considerations for making this recommendation, can be found in various articles uh, that we've written in our online journal, theburningspear.com. So we encourage people to go there to look at some of the articles that we've written, kind of summing up our position on COVID-19 vaccination. Um, but we have to note that you should talk to your primary care doctor to discuss any health conditions that you might have that make vaccination not the right option for you. So like the whole uh, panel that we just went through, which I really think was um, so important to have to put this discussion around COVID into context, we have to take steps towards living a healthy lifestyle, including eating a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, engaging in regular exercise, getting plenty of rest, um, and taking other steps to build our immune systems. Um, we have to you know, talk to your doctor and consider supplementing with vitamin C, vitamin uh, D, and zinc. And also Moringa is a plant which can um, be available to African people in various parts of the world and can be a good addition to the diet as well. It's really uh, good as an immune booster. But whether you are fully vaccinated or not, uh, wear a mask at all times when in indoor public spaces. Now I wanna say something about that because there have been many concerns um, that face masks can reduce oxygen intake. I, I've heard people say that a lot even recently and that um, wearing face masks can lead to low blood oxygen levels. Um, however, masks are made from breathable materials that will not block the oxygen that you need. The vast majority of people uh, ages two or older can safely wear face masks for extended periods of time. Uh, for example, children in school, 
or if you're doing a shift at work, and this includes many people who have medical conditions. So um, this concern or this, this claim that wearing a mask is gonna block your ability to get oxygen is, is not true. Uh, there've also been false reports that face masks can lead to carbon dioxide poisoning from rebreathing the air we normally breathe out. So that's something that also even recently I've heard somebody say, don't, you know, an African and trying to convince an older African woman, in fact, not to wear a mask because it was unsafe. It would cause her to breathe uh, in carbon dioxide, but that is not true. Carbon dioxide molecules are very tiny. They're even smaller than respiratory droplets and they cannot be trapped by breathable materials like cloth, cloth or disposable masks. So in fact, surgeons wear tight fitting masks all day as part of their jobs without any harm. But just as a note, uh, children under two years of age should not wear masks since they may not be able to remove them without help. And children with severe breathing problems, cognitive impairments may also have a hard time tolerating a face mask and extra precautions uh, may be needed. If you can keep your physical distance and will not be having any close-up conversations, masks are not necessary while outside. However, if you're unable to maintain physical distance while outdoors, masks should be worn. Um, we should continue to minimize your close interactions with others who are not in your household or who are, are at an increased risk of COVID-19 complications. And when you do have to have those kind of interactions, everybody should wear a mask. Make sure to wear your mask over your nose and mouth. Change your mask anytime throughout the day if it gets moist or soiled and maintain a minimum physical distance of six to 10 feet from others not in your household when at all possible. This is especially important for those who are at higher risk of COVID-19 complications. Of course, continue to wash your hands regularly, avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth with unwashed hands and avoid contact with people who are sick. And I can't stress this enough. If you are experiencing any feelings of, of um, that you're unwell, if you're feeling tired, you know, more than usual, if you're having cough, sneeze, runny nose, feel like you may have a cold, feel like it may be your, your allergies, feel like you may have a flu, don't assume that that you're okay. Don't assume immediately that it is allergies or, or and, and it's best to, um, to get COVID tested, determine whether or not it is COVID so that you don't Send your, you know, take yourself or send your children into a situation where you could spread that to people who are, are, to are, who are vulnerable. With the Delta variant, COVID-19 symptoms seem to present at first more like a cold with a runny nose, a sore throat, and other um, upper respiratory systems. So if, again, if you begin to experience cough, headaches, sore throat, sneezing, loss of taste or smell, shortness of breath, or any difficulty breathing, contact your doctor or medical care provider. And if you'd like to make an appointment with APDEP's COVID-19 Project Black COVID-19 Telehealth Program, please visit developmentforafrica.org slash telehealth. If you develop emergency signs of COVID-19, you need to get emergency medical attention immediately. Some of the signs that you need uh, emergency uh, attention are difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, persistent pain or pressure in your chest, a new confusion or inability to arouse or awaken bluish lips uh, or face. And this is not an, an all-inclusive list. So if list, so if there's anything that you feel very concerned about or you think is severe, then you should seek medical attention. So just in summation, you know, our message to African people is to continue to take COVID-19 seriously. We know that for now, our people do not have a government anywhere working explicitly in our best interests. 
not yet anyway. But what we do have is the International Uhuru Movement led by the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Omalia Shitela, which is building around the world with a singular mission to end the colonial domination of our people and to establish on our motherland, the continent of Africa, our own socialist government that would use our collective resources, both human and material, to protect us from this virus or any other condition or situation that may confront us. African medical professionals, scientists, or any other African who wants to contribute their skills, no matter what they are towards building APDEPs, critically important programs, we want to invite you to go to developmentforafrica.org and join APDEP under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party so that we can use our skills for the benefit of the masses of our people who need us now more than ever. That was Director Fields of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show. Today we talked about getting fit for the revolution. Our theme song, Colonial Virus, was written and performed by Alikia Ngoma. Thanks to the People's War Radio Show's production, research, and promotions team, including Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and the Hipster Panda. So we say down with the colonial virus, down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's War Radio Show, produced by WVPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.